Welcome to podcast number 58. And this podcast, yeah, so even though Zach's here with me, I kind of took this one over from, uh, from him. So, But Zach's going to be here and ask, uh, ask a few questions as well. Uh, and we're going to continue the theme that we did with 57, which was, uh, more bikes, yeah, more, bikes. yeah, more bikes, yeah, more gearhead shit. So that's kind of what this one, this one's about. So Zach's got a list of questions that, that he wants to ask me, and, uh, we're just going to dive right into it and talk bikes. And, uh, this one's going to be a little bit different, but it's, it's, we talked about the BMW and the Ducati, which was great, but now we're going to talk a little bit about other bikes and, and how we put people on different bikes, what they mean, different characteristics. So what do you got, Zach? Yeah, so we're really fortunate. So talk about what bikes are, are sitting in the Rick garage during a, a two-day school. Uh, okay, so you know the Rick program, we're blessed to have the Rick program because it's it's sort of the sharpest end of the sharpest end of everything with with training, but it's also that way, that way with gear, right? We're you know, we're we're running the you know the best gear that we can, and that includes the bikes. And the bikes are really prepped to train properly on them. And we have everything from, oh my gosh, uh, G6R600s, R6s, R3. I think we have an FC8. We have R1s. FC R1s, uh, G6R1000s. Actually, we have a Ducati. I think we have 1199 or whatever the heck that thing is. Uh, in there. A 959 in there. We got a 959. Got uh, we've a, got a BMW. Kawasaki World Superbike. Yeah, got a Kawasaki World Superbike. We've got um, a Ducati World Superbike. Yeah, Ducati World Superbike. We have a stock uh, stock ZX. Well, it's kind of stock ZX10 as well. So, stock loosely. Yeah. Loosely yeah. So big, big variety of bikes. So now you were saying they're all sort of set up the way we want them. What What does that actually mean? What are we What are we talking? So. <clears throat> The way that the way that we set up our bikes is we set them up to train on, right? So we want something that we can ride that allows us to be able to um, use our techniques. So they're set up where we have we have different um, we have a lot of different people come ride with us. So our, our our kind of go to training bikes if people want to rent bikes is is either the R six or the G six R six hundred. And why are those going to be our our training bikes? So we like the 600 power band, right? We like the, we we like the ability to have you know a sport bike type of a environment for people to ride. But we also the 600 cc is just it's just an absolutely fantastic uh, motorcycle to ride. It's not too intimidating, but yet has the power, has the chassis. Um, you can put a lot of force into it. Stock bikes nowadays are so so good, um, and you know we'll make we'll make some upgrades to the bikes so you know, they're a little bit safer. We'll put some uh, brake lines on them, things along those lines. We've got, um, the R6s have got um, shifters and auto blips on them. But when we look at these bikes, a lot of it is set up ergonomics. So if we just had R6s, there's a lot of people that can't fit on an R6. So we'll put them on a GSX R600. We've had riders that they have maybe a, either they're a newer rider, right? So we'll put them, maybe we'll put them on an FC8. Maybe we'll put them on an R3 that allows, allows them to not be intimidated by the overall power of the bike. And we also have some people that have physical challenges. And so we'll, we have, you know, FZ1s that will let them ride as well. So we want to have a stable of bikes that allows a person to fit on it ergonomically so they can ride properly and, and learn the proper techniques. I mean, what blows me away, you know, you get some of these guys coming in, Moto America racers, and they look down on the back of the bike and these things are on DOT tires. So you're running Q3s. So yep. talk a little bit about why you're running DOT tires at a race school. Yeah. So a couple things on that. You know, if we if we had you know every bike on slicks and tire warmers, you know, first of the cost factor and the work factor is extremely difficult, hard to do. And when you look at those tires, right, you got to put some force in them. They got to they got to remain at a, you know a certain temperature, and it's just very difficult for even you know, average riders to to make that happen. We use the Dunlop Q3s; they're a great tire. Um, they warm up incredibly quickly. 
We don't need tire warmers and they wear well. And even our Moto America racers, well, Unless it's JD Beach, yes. who holds the record for wearing through a, a Q3 uh, morning, in one morning, yeah, session. In one morning session. But yeah, typically on the on the Dunlops, we just wanted to turn into a slick. It must be it. We uh, will go typically three days on a front tire, and we'll typically get even instructors will get a couple of days out of a rear, sometimes three days out of a rear, and the the grip level remains absolutely um, constant. But the other thing with them is that you know we want a. Um, kind of a spec tire, a consistent tire that allows us to feel the differences that's happening with, with our inputs and grip levels as well. And with the Moto America racers, we use those tires. And you know, even at the, when we're at the Yamaha school and Freddie school, we use the same type of format. Hey, that's weird. Valentino Rossi school does the same thing. Anyway. Coincidence? Yeah, I think not. So, and we do that because we, we actually want to lower the limit of grip so you can, you can feel it without, you know, basically quite the risk of, of what's going on. And uh, yeah, that's, that has been a great go-to training tool. And it's, it's funny because even the Moto America racers come they're like, dude, I'm not riding a street tire. And then they ride them. They're like, oh my God, these things are good. And we've seen, we've seen our riders come. Um, I'll give you one example of one top, um, well, one Moto America winning superbike rider that has ridden with us on a stock R1, no, not even a suspension adjustment on Q3s that came within about two and a half seconds of the overall track record at high planes. Yep. Yeah. So it's gobsmacking what they can do. And it's, it's all based on input. So we're trying to provide, you know, the, the way we look at bikes is we want to, you know, we want people to fit on them ergonomically, but we want them to be able to ride with technique and not have to worry about the bike. I mean, I think that's one of the things that's sort of the most surprising for me about the Rick Garage. So you, you look on one end and there's a, you know, a Jixxer 750 that's got full Morelli, electronics we got a ducati 959 that's that's pretty tricked out and you guys are teaching on basically stock equipment and so i think the question is like when do we start moving away from from stock so i'm a i'm a track day rider i want to do it when do i start sort of ripping parts off and, and putting new things on so again absolutely absolutely fabulous question and yeah so like basically, well, thank you, Ken. yeah what do you yeah when you when you have some education in that hey. um yeah you uh <laughs> the, the departure from stocks yeah so, you know, the bikes are going to work in a certain envelope. So when, when we look, say, an R6, right, we do a little bit of setup work on the R6s. We do a little bit of setup work on the G6 R600s. And so we know, for instance, we'll look at the shock. When we know where the compression and rebound settings are and the preload settings are and how much preload's on the spring, there's a certain envelope where they work. And when, when you start, you know, if the rider is either, let's say, let's actually go to the other opposite, the opposite way. Say we have a setup in the bike and, and the rider's not putting enough force into it before changing a spring. If we take out, if we take out hydraulics or we take out spring, and then we go too far where we're out of what's considered the industry standard for that range, then we know we're going to make a change, right? Either a lighter spring or, or a revalve. And the opposite, you know, the same for a rider that's putting a lot of force into it. If we start getting to where we're having to add, you know, preload that's out of an industry standard for what that is, or same thing with clickers, we're running out of clickers or they're too closed down. And, you know, you can get them too closed down and then it gets harsh. Uh, it gets harsh because the needle's in too far, but it's still not doing its job. Then we're going to look at a change. So we, we know where the stock bikes settings um, work um, in, in a normal range. But when we start getting out of that range and it's holding the rider back from doing what the technique is required, then that's when we'll start looking at that type of a change. And how big is a, 
the envelope on like an arse there. So I, I won't name names. We'll call him HB Reach. Um, he's able to go pretty quickly on a, a stock R6. Yeah. What's the, what's the envelope look like? Yeah. So stock bikes are absolutely, absolutely amazing. Um, and again, you know, part of it is, yeah, you got to set them up in a, in, a, in, a, in a, you know, in a certain range to allow you, allow you to put force into them. But I've seen, I've seen a stock R6 with slick tires come within two seconds of a 600 track record. Bone stock, no quick shift. That was actually no quick shifter and no brake, nothing. And bone I, stock. And so for our folks at home, like how are they going to set the bike up like that? How do we, how do we get them so that their R6 off the showroom floor is doing what your, your R6 here, your stock R6 is doing? What do they have to do? Yeah. So, you know, it's really interesting and, you know, using, we use R6 as an example, but even the GSX-R is the same way as well. The, the 600, the, the stock front ends are pretty darn good. Matter of fact, I rode... Yeah, if I could list all at some point, I'll list off every single bike, different bike that I've ridden in the last maybe nine days. It's pretty gobsmacking. But the the Yamahas and even the Suzukis have a very good standard front fork setting that you can ride. The rears are typically set up um, a little bit soft, but again, it's it's um, you know trying to limit limit the speed and how far say the shock goes down. So you know do, we don't we don't set things by sag just because it's like for instance if you if you wanted to set them by sag you end up taking a stock spring, which in some, some cases can be too light and you end up over preloading it. So we'll do things where we might set them up with um, how much free sag is in them, right? We're not gonna look at total sag, but we, might, we just wanna make sure the shock is gonna start off in appropriate range. And then we'll look and see what the range of the clickers are as well. And we'll put them in a range where we know that there's um, some restriction, but not too much, but not too little restriction with the clickers. And are you, can I, can I impose on you to put your clicker numbers up on the, the show notes? Oh gosh. Um, you know, so on the R6s, honestly, we leave the front ends alone. We don't touch them. Okay. Yeah. Front of the R6s. And this is the, the bike that I mentioned. That's exactly how that bike was. So we didn't touch the front end. Pulled that out of a showroom. And yes. Two ran seconds it. from the left. Right. Same thing with the R1. The R1 that we just ran as well, um, we never touched the front end at all. And matter of fact, that bike, that particular bike, um, we never even touched the shock. And I rode that bike yesterday. And it worked. It actually worked very well. There was actually a world champion riding that bike. There was. Oh my god. Yeah. It was, that was his favorite pick, yeah. uh, which was interesting. Uh, but on the R6, like we'll, we'll take the stock R6s and we'll typically add a turn or turn and a half or preload to the rear. We'll add a little bit of low speed compression to the back and then we'll add just a little bit, more, a little high speed compression, but we add quite a bit of rebound as well. I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but, but yeah, I mean, we'll just basically tighten up the hydraulics on them, but we definitely add some preload to the rear. So I think one thing you are doing on all your bikes, which I think is worth noting is these auto flippers. You've, you've become a, a convert. Yeah. So a couple of things. Another thing that we actually add to all of our bikes is the steering damper. Okay. Um, even though some of the bikes come with them, we will either upgrade them or um, we'll add them to bikes that don't have steering dampers. And it's just a little bit of safety is, is what it boils down to. There, there may or may not have been a quote unquote incident involving <laughs> a, a bike without a, a Yeah, there was. Um, but yeah, we just want to give the rider uh, as much um, safety uh, as we can, and so we did add some dampers to the da uh, dampers to the bikes. And even some of the bikes that require like the brakes will go away a little bit. Um, we'll put some brake lines on the thing just to make sure it's good. Some of the bikes don't need it. Yeah. Some of the bikes um, either they come with good lines or um, uh, the brakes are, are are completely ad adequate. Yeah, so the you know more, more and more bikes are coming with modern electronics and whether it's traction control abs um programmable you know maps all that stuff um but yeah i am i so love a quick shifter right just i mean it's like you ride a bike it's funny and i spent a, i spent two days on a bike um testing tires a week ago that didn't have a quick shifter and it was fine right i got used to it after a minute 
but yeah, you get spoiled for sure. Uh, but I love Quick Shifter, and the auto blip is great. Couple reasons: one, first of all, it blips, so yeah. <laughs> we get lazy, yeah. right? So that that's the bottom line: is that when you're riding, you may get lazy, or the slipper clutch may not be that great, and so the amount of brain space it takes to actually do that just takes a long time, and so or, or just takes up brain, you know, more brain power for all the other things that are going on. So the fact that it auto blips means it blips, and the second one is that it takes, you know, it adds time in your brain to concentrate on other things that you could be dealing with. So yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of the auto blips. I, I really like them. So you're doing your coaching now in a, an FC 10. So walk me, walk me through that. So, you know, I'm out, first of all, it's humiliating when I, I get passed on a bike that, that should be cruising on the highway. But, but that aside, you're, you're on the FC 10. Why, why are you on that? So, and you're, you're within, you're pretty close to Yeah. Them. So, okay. A couple things. One, we spent many, many years on FC1s. I spent basically 10 years riding, almost 10 years riding FC1s and well over 100,000 track miles on FC1s, different FC1s. And you know, when we're riding between you know, 60 to 110 days a year and we're on our bikes four to five hours a day, I want something more comfortable. I mean, that's the reality of it. Plus, we're on and off the bike so much, we just don't have time for different stands and all this crazy stuff. So yeah, I want something that's, or, or have somebody jump on the bike as a two-up ride, right? Yep. It just all has to happen right there. So we need a bike that can do all of that. And the FC1 was absolutely fantastic for that. I just love, love that motorcycle. And the reason I'm on an FC10 is because they're not making the FC1 anymore. <laughs> and it was a, it was a natural uh, progression. So the more upright bars are great. Power delivery, the FC10 is, is wonderful. Definitely had to do some upgrades to that bike. I mean, the stock shock just wasn't up to the task of what we wanted. So we were going to, the front of the bike was great. Even the brakes are great. Um, we did flash those bikes and yes, it has a quick shift for an auto blip, which, uh, makes my job a lot easier. I believe there is a pipe on there as well. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a pipe on there. Graves pipe. Uh, yeah. we put on there, which yeah, the bike runs well, that comes off the corner so, so well. Yeah. My rule of thumb with, with my standard bikes is I want to be on Q3s. I want to be 10 seconds off the overall lap record on my naked bike with Q3s. And I've pretty much been there at every single track. So the bikes are extremely, extremely capable. So what's the lesson there for a track day guy? Like should, should he or she be, uh, be buying an FC10 and leaving the R1 in the garage? So I think that this goes down to a comfort, a comfort thing. And you know, the R1s are great, right? I rode one quite a bit yesterday. I rode a G6R1000 uh, as well yesterday. So old, old Man River, you, you weren't looking too rough when you got off them. No, no, no. They're fine. Yeah. I mean, they're good, but it's just the amount of time we spend on the bikes. I want to be more comfortable on the bike. So for, for a person that is either challenged um, physically with flexibility or whatever it may be, or just want something more comfortable, want something different, these bikes are incredibly, incredibly capable. So I would look at it as the comfort standpoint. And if you're just, you know, if you feel like um, um, you're just too racked up, yeah, I, I, I mean, you can look at these things ergonomically, but yeah, some of the naked bikes, I mean, gosh, the Tuano, I mm -hmm. mean, what a, what a, what, beast of a what an amazing motorcycle uh, that still has that upright, that upright riding position. And then you're, you know, what always strikes me is you're switching a lot between bikes. So I'll talk about it in a second, but we've started doing a lot of data and you're going out on, on different folks' bikes and putting in sort of baseline laps. And how are you, how are you jumping across bikes with that? Yeah, so you know this this really is the hallmark of the methodology that that I work with, um, and you know what we teach is when you have very deliberate habits. You know when you understand your initial braking, your initial throttle, how you sit on the bike, where's the right way to sit on the bike, you should be able to jump on these bikes and and go go 
pretty quickly right out of the gate because you have specific and deliberate habits of sitting on the bike and how you use the controls. Yeah, I mean, I, I tell you, nine, well, I try to think over. Um, yeah, I bet you rode a dozen yeah, bikes. This, yeah, probably in the last nine days, I mean, I can't even tell you how many different bikes I, I rode. been more than a dozen. Oh yeah, easily more than a dozen bikes. Whether it was, I was training with people with an R3. So yeah. I was actually, you know, jump on an R3, got to go ride the, oh gosh. So stock R3. Yeah, stock R3. Graves R3. Gra Graves R3, um, R6, Graves R6, um, R1, FC10. FC1. FC1. And then let's see, Suzuki, GSSR 600, G6R750, G6R1000, G6R1000R. Kawasaki. Kawasaki. Yeah, it was two different ZX10, actually three different ZX10s. Yep. Uh, ZX10 RR, ZX10, yep. and then the World Superbike um, ZX10. Yep. Um, Ducati 959. Ducati 959. Big ups to the Ducati 959. Yeah, got to have that. Oh, the, yeah. the V4, um, we rode that. Didn't ride any Hondas. No, no. Yeah, no Hondas. Not bleeding red with the, uh, the Rick School right now. No, no, Honda's a great bike, but I uh, just don't have anything that we that we can use at the moment. Um, yeah, I think, I'm trying to think. There's probably more than that yeah, in there. I mean, but that's a... Yeah, it's quite a different, quite a bunch of bikes. Yep. Yeah, and so being able to jump on those bikes, I mean, I had to ride with a, the R3, right? I hadn't ridden an R3 in, in a little bit, but I had to jump on a guy that's basically within a second or two off the, that track record uh, on an R3, and I got to, I got to ride with him. And and for those of you who've not met Ken, uh, he's, uh, I guess he's got the the physical structure of like a fire hydrant. I think pretty much probably the most average. pretty much basically looks like a fat man in a little coat when he's on an R3. Pretty looks, much looks yeah. like a guy who just ate at Children's Bicycle. Yeah, it's not exactly the bike that I should be on. And yeah, speaking <laughs> of data, you, you look at the acceleration data on that. Not good. Not good. Um, it actually, the, the throttle map says, help me. Yeah, pretty <laughs> much. Actually, I, the one thing, the one thing about that bike is I have to give kudos to the person that uh, engineered a throttle cable on it because, uh, <laughs> it's pretty much, you know, completely stretched out for an amazing amount of time. But yeah, so yeah, learning how to ride different bikes. Um, I think it is a, it's an incredible skill that we, that we all need to have because it just showcases, um, all of your, your techniques and habits and, and, a lot of this came also from a lot of the magazine testing. And do you think the the average rider should be able to, to jump around on different bikes? Is that a skill that that I should have, or is that something that mostly so, we're just going to leave to to you? Well, so do I think average riders should be able to do it? Absolutely, because it just showcases the fact that they have a you know a fundamental understanding of how all these things work, and they should be able to jump on different bikes. I think it's good for them, and part of even our instructor training. Um, we did it this week as I put different instructors on different bikes, even though they're riding with the same student, they got to go figure it out. So we'll put the instructors like, Hey, go ride the FC 10, go ride the R6, go ride this, figure it out. Right. And getting that seat time to be able to do it, I think is great. So yeah, I, I, I would like to see people learn how to ride different bikes and learn how to be comfortable with them in a short amount of time. You know, I think the, maybe the final question, I, I suppose it's probably something that, that'll lead into a whole other podcast is going to be about data and you know we've started i think at the risk we'll sort of embracing a lot more data analysis in our our program so i think a lot of the data the bikes now are, are running the full aim package why did you make this transition when do we want to adopt it and and what are we getting from it so one cool thing at the Rick school is yeah we we basically equipped almost every one of our student bikes with with data acquisition and whether we use it or not, you know, it depends on what they're, what we're trying to accomplish with them and, and you know, how much time they have and, and how they want to pay for it. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's the reality. <laughs> the end for of the day, yeah. yeah at the end of the day, that's the way, I mean, sorry, that's yeah, the way yeah. it works, right? This costs money. Um, not, no reason to hide behind that. Yeah, gotta stick the coins in to get the machine to go. Pretty much. Um, so 
I've always embraced data, right? Because you know you can look at seat of the pants, and you can you can look at it, you know, a very subjective thought process, or you can look at what the writer thinks. But the bottom line is, we need we need absolute quantitative data. We need to look at it and say, oh, your throttle is this, your brake is this. What we're able to do, what? But once we've established some basic mastery of things on a motorcycle, bringing data in absolutely positively shortcuts a rider's learning curve because and also for some people that learn differently um they can look at the data and the data just does not lie whether you like it or not dude i was wide open there alas Um, you were not you were not yeah and you know i can be i'm just as guilty as that and i i learned from the data just as well as everybody else i compare my data to our top motor america riders i want to get better i want to see what's going on with there so when should we make the the plunge I, i just made the plunge it's not cheap when when should somebody be plunking this down on their on their track day bike? So uh, earlier rather than later, I think there has to be some sort of base, um, you know, mastery of fundamentals, right? So if you're you know if your lap times are fairly consistent, um, your lap times are starting to plateau. Yep. I, I mean, I think that's a good way to look at it as well. But you have to make sure that your riding's consistent, and so we have to make sure the lap times are, are staying fairly consistent. And it, once they start to plateau. The other thing is that we have to have something to compare it to. Yeah. And I think that's that's super important. And you know, we've built and a pretty you, good what do you mean there compared to? Yeah, so we do things a little bit differently. It's not, you know, if somebody's coming in and they're running, say, you know, whatever, 10 or well, let's say 20 seconds off, um, whatever that class pace is. Hypothetically. Hypothetically, they're running 20 seconds off pace. We're not gonna compare their lap to somebody that's 20 seconds a lap faster. We're not, I mean, that that's that's not that's not it. So what we'll do with the student when we're individualizing their program is um, either I'll do it or one of the other instructors will do it is we will run at their same exact pace. So we'll run the same lap time with our data compared to their data. And then we'll go say two seconds a lap faster, four seconds a lap faster, five. So we wanna create a pathway of, of improvement and we want to showcase that improvement is so it's not just a big jump like dude you got to go 20 seconds lap faster Send it, baby yeah no we're going to look at what their exact lap time is right right there and then we're going to build up uh we're going to build up from that lap time that gives them a pathway for improvement and what channels are you are you looking at yeah you know it's it's fairly simple initially what we look at initially is we're just we, we basically just look at um at gps speed and we start we start with gps speed uh, and then we'll look at um, our throttle graph. So we want to see our throttle trace. We want to see our brake pressure trace. And really, that kind of starts the whole thing. We don't need more than that. We use the AIM systems. We also have some of the Morelli systems as well. Uh, but we typically use the AIM. And, and you know, when we're, the bikes have got data, uh, but we also can do a lot with just an AIM solo box as well. Uh, those work great. And then as we get into it, we, we can look into some of the suspension channels as well. But for the most part, we're looking at GPS speed throttle graph, break graph. And that takes care of literally 90%. You know, what struck me is, you know, you and I were working on, on sort of lap times for a race weekend. You can basically pick out you know, two or three corners and it, it sort of changes the way you're teaching. So it, I, I like that. Instead of like, okay, I'm four seconds off. I have to go faster everywhere, right? Instead, we can look at the data and we go, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, this, if you just improve this particular section, whether it's braking or throttle or whatever it may be, then, uh, or your whatever, slowest point of the corner in one section. So we'll look at where the biggest gap is on the data and we'll work on that one section first. Uh, and then we'll start to bring the other ones in. We don't worry about the other stuff, right? We, do, we don't worry about the small chunks, but we'll take the big chunk first, 
work on that, and then we start to break it down from there. You know, is that how you're working with your, your Moto America guys in the race weekends? Are you doing the whole track, or are you sort of... Um, so we do it in segment times, which is the exact same theory. So in the Moto America guys, we'll look at the segment that um, that's basically off the most from whoever the leader is. We'll work on that one segment. If we have a rider that's, say, I'm going to make it up, right? They're whatever, six tenths off in every every sector. Then we start looking at some overall speed issues that, that go along with that. Perhaps a new job. Yeah, well, yeah, actually, that, if you time that, that, that would be so great. Yeah. But alas, yeah. So, so the data, so the data has been great for us. We completely embrace it. But again, you know, you, it's uh, how you're interpreting the data, and you know who's interpreting the data as well. All right. And since this is a gear gearhead podcast, we're talking about the bikes. You get our stable of bikes in the Rick Garage. You got to pick one to go out and just enjoy the day on. Ooh. All those bikes you have. Which, yeah, which but some play? of it, some of it's dependent on the track. Oh come on. Yeah, Maybe I know. Miller, gonna... Miller Outer Loop. So we were just there yesterday. Oh, Miller Outer Loop is going to be. Um, it's going to be a thousand for sure. Okay. Uh, it's going to be a thousand, and um, which in our stable? You got, you got some to choose from. Which is a... which? You rolling out? Yeah. So it's funny. I rode the the ZX10 RR stock, the G6R1000 stock, and the R1 stock. I I could I would throw. I mean, I would just. Any of them would work well. But uh, I'm not letting you off. I know, I know you're not. Um, I'm probably going to go with the R1. Ooh. Yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed some of the aspects of the G6R1000, but I love um, the throttle connection with the R1, and I love the front end of the R1. I'm not so, the, the shock I'm not super thrilled with, but I can deal with that. But the front end feedback, the brakes, the, connect, the connectivity with the brake, um, to the to the fork is amazing. I guess I'll skip to the chase. I was as fast on a, a R1 with Q3s as I was the G6R slicks. Giddy up. Yeah. So, but I mean, I still enjoy the G6R's got some. I mean, firing that thing off a corner is just the the best. It's so much fun. So there you go. I think that's the uh, the place to end it. Great. We'll keep doing them. Copyright 2018. Ken Hill Coaching. All rights reserved.